It's St. Patty's Day, and the Scott Thompson Home Show is greener than ever. Coming up. The World Health Organization reaffirms safety of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. The Wee Charity continues to hound the Prime Minister. And deep fake videos. The world isn't as it appears. It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Waiting for COVID-19 vaccines to arrive is a lot like the old days when we could eat Buddy's extra lunch if he was finished. Canada will be vaccinated after everybody else is finished and sends us their extras. Pizza crust, anybody? We're 54! It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! Okay. All right. I'm... It's St. Patty's Day. Enough. Sheesh. Even the kids are getting ornery. Uh, good afternoon. It is 12.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers, get back at the station. Keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air this St. Patty's Day. Uh, feel free to uh, green up as best you can. Uh, many of you probably already on the Guinness, if you know what I mean. Uh, we've got another great show uh, jam-packed for you. Lots of information to get to you, and we will do that uh, just as quickly as we can. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, there's been some chatter in and around uh, AstraZeneca. Uh, obviously, uh, there are European countries that have paused its distribution uh, while more uh, testing has done. There's been a couple of links to uh, blood clotting that uh, those are uh, some are concerned about. Uh, again, Health Canada reiterating that uh, it is safe, uh, and, and uh, they have done uh, done their testing. Uh, this is uh, from the world health, uh, the head of the World Health Organization, Dr. Tetros, talking about AstraZeneca. WHO is aware that some countries have suspended the use of AstraZeneca vaccines based on reports of blood clots in some people who received doses of the vaccine from two batches. This measure was taken as a precaution while a full investigation is finalized. It's important to note that the European Medicines Agency has said there is no indication of a link between the vaccine and blood clots, and that the vaccine can continue to be used while its investigation is ongoing. WHO's Global Advisory Committee on Vaccine Safety systematically reviews safety signals and is carefully assessing the current reports on the AstraZeneca vaccine. All right, and that again, the World Health Organization uh, talking about and reaffirming uh, the safety of AstraZeneca. Uh, again, lots of different angles, including testing on children, uh, it, it now going on in regard to this vaccine. Uh, lots of different aspects as this goes on, and we are in uh, week number 53 of all of this, and not officially arriving in Canada, of course, but... Uh, being told to go home a year ago. Let's bring in Dr. Martha Fulford, pediatric infectious disease specialist at McMaster Children's Hospital and Hamilton Health Sciences, and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hello? Can you hear me, doctor? I can, yes. Thank you. Okay, uh, before we get started on kids and testing and such, just your thoughts on uh, the debate around AstraZeneca, the information uh, from the World Health Organization reaffirming the safety of this drug. Did you want to comment on that? Yeah, I actually agree that it, 
all the information we have is that it's a very, very safe vaccine and that it is, as is true of the others, extremely effective at preventing uh, severe disease, hospitalization, and death. The difficulty, of course, is that when you administer millions of doses of something, there will be some adverse events after that are completely unrelated to the vaccine, but the timing seems awkward. And blood clots, uh, people may not be aware of this, but blood clots do do happen, not that infrequently in the general population. And, and uh, the what we're what we're hearing is that there have been some people who got the vaccine and they got a blood clot. clot. What would be extremely important is to look at the numbers of people who did not get the vaccine and got a blood clot. Hmm. And then you would notice that it's actually the same. So there's really no correlation. There's no connection between the vaccine and blood clots. It's just sometimes the timing is awkward. And so the when we think that something might have an adverse event, it has to be much higher than what you would see in the general population. And that's what's not being seen with the vaccines. So how do you explain the other countries reacting the way they have to this by pausing it? Well, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect with some of the political decisions and some of the uh, recommendations from public health agencies. And people are nervous, I I think would be one way I would describe the situation with COVID at the moment. Not all the countries have have, uh, obviously stopped using it. In the United Kingdom, where where they've had well over 11 million doses administered, it might be more now, they've had no signal at all towards adverse events. So I'm not sure, actually, why why people were so quick to, uh, to pull the plug. We're all very cautious. We all want to make sure that everything we do is safe. And I, I guess that would be the, the only explanation I have is that maybe some people were so nervous that, that they decided to go for the precautionary principle. They'll probably look at all the numbers of blood clots in non-vaccinated and vaccinated populations and, and make a comparison. Uh, will we see or, or do, you, do you think that will ease concern for Canadians? Do you think this will create hesitancy uh, around this vaccine as a result of the confusion around it or or conflicting hope, data? Yeah, I hope not, because there have been many millions of doses administered uh, already. In If you look at all the different countries using it and the signal has been that it's very safe. The uh, and again, I suppose it's a, per, a perception of risk, uh, particularly for vulnerable seniors who who are at risk for severe a severe outcome if they happen to get COVID. The vaccine is very safe and remarkably effective at, at reducing the risk of a severe outcome from COVID. So I, I I have not seen when I look at the numbers anything that would suggest uh, that there's a higher risk of blood clots with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So I do think the publicity is unfortunate. Um, will there, do you think it will be long before there will be data out that reaffirms the safety of this and these countries will reverse their decision? Any idea how long that would be? I don't know how long, but I think we will see reversals. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about, sorry, say that again. And I think it'll be pretty quick, actually. Uh, let's talk about testing uh, the vaccine on kids, as we know. Well, first, give us a bit of an update. Uh, you're in pediatrics. Is this uh, how does this affect kids? What do we know about COVID nineteen in kids? So, it's one of the good news stories of the pandemic is that young people are very unlikely to get severe disease uh, from COVID. Not that it's impossible, but very unlikely. So. 
for example, in Ontario, under the age of 18, uh, there have been no deaths as a result of COVID. There has been one child that died who incidentally had COVID, but, but that wasn't the actual reason that, that this child um, uh, died. The, uh, on the other hand, there is always a, a potential with any infection of a bad outcome, and there have been some cases in, in younger adults uh, and certainly in, in seniors, we know already that, that it's, it's a, quite a significant uh, illness. So children, uh, at the moment, the worst impact on children, of course, are, are the, is a collateral damage. It's the interrupted education, it's the isolation, it's the lack of all the activities. So those things are, are really what's, what, what is harming our children. COVID is not a direct threat to the children. What do we know about spread with kids? Um, you know, because obviously we're about to talk about vaccinating yeah. kids. Why vaccinate kids if they're not uh, bothered by it? But that being it, it, said, they can still it's transmit exactly, it. It's exactly that's the reason for doing it. Is is if we want a, a good herd immunity across across the population, younger people, uh, if if immune, if vaccinated, are less likely uh, to transmit to to seniors. There are some people who I think are very risk averse who will want a vaccine right away, others who, who might want to wait a bit. But this first phase of what's happening is to show that the vaccines are safe in children and that they produce a good immune response is very appropriate. I have never seen a vaccine that's safe in adults that's not safe in children, but we would like to ensure that we confirm that get what kind of a dose we would require for different age groups and kids because uh, kids' immune systems are very can be quite robust and they might actually need a smaller amount of the vaccine uh, to, to mount a response, which we see with some of the other vaccines that we give them less of an amount. Uh, and that that is the reason. Now, at the moment, children are not the main drivers. At least young children are not the main drivers of transmission. This has been shown consistently in household studies has been shown consistently in school studies. Teenagers, older older adolescents are probably more likely to, to transmit, similar to the adults. But again, not that it will never happen. And I can I can foresee, for example, a multi generational household where you've got a very frail uh, right. grandparent, possibly that you would want everybody in that household vaccinated, so that you have completely uh, minimized any conceivable risk to anybody in the home. So I think there's a, there's a significant role uh, for looking at vaccination of children, and the first step, obviously, is to confirm that it's safe and to confirm uh, exactly how much vaccine a child would require. Any idea why it doesn't affect? We don't want any information why it doesn't affect kids. I mean, is it an immune system situation where obviously the older you get, the, the you know your your immune system is more compromised? Any idea why? There, there probably are probably uh, several reasons, and one of them is actually we think that possibly they have uh, less of a receptor that the virus bi- uh, binds to in the respiratory tract system when they're younger. Um, but it's also not unheard of. Uh, I can, for example, hepatitis A. Uh, completely different virus, com- spread in a completely different way, is often asymptomatic in children and can actually cause quite severe disease in older people. So there is a different uh, a difference in the immune system at times.
You were talking about older adults, a tragic story about a 31-year-old, I believe, in Peterborough uh, yes, at a party or something with a, uh, within a, a dorm or resident situation uh, at a college. Uh, uh, quite a few people, I think 50, 60 people are infected, uh, and then this person passes away. Um, what do we know about its effects on a younger person? Again, most uh, younger adults, and that would be under the age of 60, believe it or not, uh, do not have an adverse outcome. Uh, so if, you know, you're going to, if you're a gambler, I suppose um, you would say, well, the chances are I won't have a, bo- a bad outcome, but clearly it can happen as demonstrated by this. And this is true of any infection. I mean, we see this with, with influenza, we see this with other viruses, and we certainly see it with bacterial infections. Younger people are much more resilient, but they're not completely invulnerable. Uh, so, so it can happen. And again, that's one of the reasons why we're hoping to have uh, pretty good herd immunity across the population uh, by vaccinating. Uh, well, we're starting with the seniors, and as we vaccinate down, the more people that uh, are, are immune to the virus, the less likely we are to have this kind of unfortunate event happen. What about side effects in kids? Uh, and, and how do you test on kids? I mean, my goodness. Uh, hey, and, Junior, and, and, roll up your sleeve. Let's see what, yeah. what happens. And that, that's, that is, I think we, we need to be very cautious and conservative as we do this. And it's a very reasonable question, is who, who would benefit the most and, and under what circumstances? Because there is an one could make the argument, uh, and I am, I, and I'm going to preface this by saying I'm extremely in favor of vaccines. I am, I, as an infectious disease physician, I am pro-vaccine. I, I think every year of my career, I've seen somebody uh, pass away of a vaccine-preventable disease, so I am unquestionably pro-vaccine. But there are some circumstances, some vaccines, for example, that we tend to to recommend in older people. And examples of that is one of the pneumonia vaccines. Another vaccine that we recommend in older adults is the vaccine for shingles. So I could see a situation where COVID, we strongly recommend the vaccine for people who are vulnerable for severe outcome, and it becomes more of a, of a recommended or, or uh, if you want it, you can have it for younger adults. I think there, there's lots of conversations to be had with the role of a vaccine for younger people. But for me, the most compelling reason would be to try to uh, decrease the overall transmission. I would also say, though, that I'm going to go back to the the thing that has affected our kids the most, of course, is the collateral damage. And certainly that would need to be dealt with front and center. I would never wait for a vaccine for, for children to lift restrictions on children. So, so in-person schooling uh, should be as, as far as I'm concerned, essentially non-negotiable. Schools should not be shut down. Playgrounds should be open. We should be have, taking a very strong t- stance towards allowing our kids to start to do outdoor activities, to look at the lower-risk sports, to allow them to start to do lower-risk low activities. So that is a separate discussion that should proceed regardless of the situation with the vaccines. With cautious uh, trials and looking at phase three, making sure that they have a good immune response and no adverse effects, then a conversation could be had about the role of, of vaccinating children. So it's two separate conversations uh, for me. 
How concerned are you, and this will be the last question, I just want to ask you about a third wave. Uh, Many are concerned about a third wave. However, um, and and a lot of the time, they're worse than the one that preceded it. However, now we have long-term care vaccinated. We're starting to move out into the general population, hopefully mass vaccinations this week and, and certainly starting next week. So how will... Uh, how are you anticipating a third wave? And it, obviously, it's a race between the, vi- the variants and, and the vaccine. But where do you see that? How do you see that playing out? Well, it's an interesting, uh, again, it's a very interesting question, because if we go back to a year ago, the what we were wanting to achieve, and, and we did actually achieve very successfully, was avoiding a massive surge in overwhelming our hospitals and ensuring that we were able to cope with an influx of, of ill patients. So today, it is a different conversation because we probably start to need to have a a shift in in focus from the total number of cases to the cases in in vulnerable people and most important to looking directly at hospitalizations uh, because with long-term care vaccinated, with seniors vaccinated, the people who get the severe disease and end up in hospital are protected. So I would anticipate that we will start to see a significant decrease in hospitalizations, which is what's happened in other countries that have vaccinated. It's certainly been seen in Israel. It's been seen in the United States. It's been seen in areas of the UK. So even as numbers may or may not go up, this may no longer equal significant hospitalizations. And so it's a bit of a mind switch for people to stop worrying about cases, because if the cases are, are in people who have no clinical symptoms and who are not who are not going to actually have an impact on the healthcare system, then we may need to stop looking only at, at total cases, which may not be relevant anymore, and focus only on, on hospitalizations. And as we vaccinate, these numbers will be going down. Good point. Mar- Dr. Martha Fulford. Dr. Martha Fulford has been with us, Pediatric Infectious Disease Specialist at McMaster Children's Hospital and Hamilton Health Sciences. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you. Enough of the guests. Now it's time for my opinion. Here's the commentary. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is right on one thing regarding his handling of getting Canadians a jab of COVID-19 vaccine and the not-so-steady supply of vaccines eventually arriving in Canada. By the end of September, there will be enough vaccine in Canada to vaccinate Canadians. He has said that from the beginning, and he is right. By the end of September, there will be enough vaccine in Canada to vaccinate Canadians. But not because of Justin Trudeau's giant portfolio that has yet to arrive, but because by then, most of the developed world will be finished vaccinating their own citizens and be able to send their extra doses to less fortunate countries, which is in our case, Canada. So yes, Canadians will be vaccinated by fall, All those orders the PM speaks of will not be fully honored until those originating countries have provided for their citizens and finished vaccinating their own people. Like those less fortunate who receive vaccine from the world charity COVAX, which is now including Canada, we, they, will get theirs after everyone else who is self-sufficient. So Justin Trudeau told part of the truth, on COVID-19 vaccinations, he just failed to mention it would be after everybody else. We're 54th.
I'm Scott Thompson. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900CHML. Feel free to send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com, the way Dave has. Uh, Dave says, the kid that introduces your show needs to go. He's too annoying. <laughs> oh, 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 man. My wife and I have been saying that for years. <laughs> I'm Curtis Thompson, uh, oh, Scott's now we'll. son. No, Waiting we'll. for COVID-19 vaccines we'll, to don't arrive be do- is a lot <laughs> like the old... Okay, okay, no, okay. Well, fine. well, <laughs> don't rub it in. <laughs> don't rub it in. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's what, I'm not sure if, the, if they're upset with Kurt or what Kurt has to say. I think there might be a difference there, but maybe I'm just sticking up for my kid. If you think it's time for my kid to go, you send me a note. I'll show him the door. I don't care. It's my gig. Uh, 1235-900. I'm kidding. 1235-900-CHM. As long as I'm stuck here, he's on. Uh, 1235, I'm Scott Thompson. Have I said that enough? It's 1235. Oh, no, it's 1236 now. Not quite. Uh, feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Lots of ways to do that. Facebook and Twitter as well. As well, you can uh, send us a note via the website, the same way that Dave has. Uh, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And uh, the phone lines are always open at 905-645-3221. Start at 9900 on your cell. All right, let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of, I think he's the chairman now, of Abacus Status. So we played a song, but we screwed up his title again. Tim, is that correct? That's, you know, Scott, that's all right. Yesterday I got benched for the premier, but you got the great big scene yes. on Patty's Day. I'll forgive everything else. I'll forgive <laughs> the title mix-up. It's all good. Yeah, and you're right. Yesterday we bumped you. I mean, where when can we do any justice whatsoever? So, you know, chairman of Summa Strategies, managing director of Abacus Data. Have you been promoted at Abacus yet? No, no, I'm, I'm still just, just a hard-working stiff there, too. You know, I try my best. Right. Uh, so lots to talk about. Uh, let's start with um, the realities of uh, the vaccine and where we are. You know, I've been I've been I've been thinking about this all the time. Uh, you know, I'm knee deep in it at home for the last 53 weeks. And uh, I've come to this realization, Tim, and tell me if I'm right or wrong. The, the prime minister initially said we don't make this stuff anymore. And then he's has constantly said, we're all going to be vaccinated by September. And he is absolutely right on both of those fronts. However, I think where the catch is and where the lack of transparency is, the reason we will be vaccinated in the fall is because that's by then everybody else will be finished. Uh, we're certainly hearing of the U.S. Uh, May and June, uh, Biden talking about Fourth of July gatherings and barbecues. Uh, so, but again, they'll be finished. The UK will be finished by then. Every country has expressed that they will ship their extra doses to those in need. I was talking to a professor at Texas State University about this uh, just yesterday, and he said, yeah, you know, once the the U.S. figures out how much is left, they will no doubt uh, say, hey, here's so many doses. Let's send them to developed countries. And I think mistakenly I put <laughs> Canada. Yes. And he put Canada unknowingly in that category. So, again, uh, the message in the message has been 100% accurate. The problem is we're under the assumption that these are going to come in until then, when in fact they're not. They're all coming in towards the end. And let's be honest, uh, Tim, these countries, these producing countries will not uh, honor or completely fulfill these contracts until their own citizens have been vaccinated. 
yeah, vaccine nationalism and protectionism. And Biden, who is generally uh, an internationalist, has, has said the same thing, uh, or his team has. They're going to drive till the July, 4th of July, and whatever surplus they have, then they're going to start to share as best they can. But you, so you have this comparative game on it. You say the prime minister has not been uh, lacking in truth in what he said, but I think as people look at this, they're getting more frustrated. I'm sitting in Ottawa, as you know, across the river is Gatineau or Hull, depending what vintage uh, you are. And this morning, story coming out of Quebec, which, again, torques things up a little bit, is that Premier Legault uh, has said that by June 24th, which is their big holiday, Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day, everyone in Quebec will have had their first shot. Uh, and they will be on the way. And this does include people who have Janssen Ortho. I don't think we've gone that far yet in Ontario. So you have all these interprovincial competitions uh, emerging too. So it's really hard to know what the truth is. I think politically for the prime minister, it's two things. Scott, if most of the country has gotten its first shot by Canada Day, and as a consequence of that and diminished spread of COVID and summer in some uh, in a more advanced form than last year, not what it was in 2019, is able to take place, he believes he will accrue political benefit from that and people will not do that in-depth comparison and say we're the last recipient of final vaccines because they'll be happy enough with the first and the sun shining. Well, and right that's not, the difference... We'll well, that's the difference. He, the the difference is right there. One is fully vaccinated. The other one only has the first dose. And the reason that Quebec is far away uh, ahead of all of the other provinces is because they are yet to administer a second dose. So, again, you still have to wait another four months until you're the same place that all of these other places are at. So, again, there is a giant portfolio. But let's be honest, that giant portfolio will not be fully uh, honored until those originating countries are vaccinated. And I was looking at the world list. We're somewhere, depending on what list you want, we're somewhere between 55 and 64. Um, you know who's behind us on the list where we're 55 at 56? is Belgium. They're making the stuff. So do you honestly think that Canada's going to be vaccinated fully before Belgium? That's not going to happen. Uh, it, uh, yeah. it, again, exceedingly We're 54th, Tim. Yeah, 54th. It's, it, it, Scott, you know, if I were 54th in a marathon, I'd be happy. But this is the marathon <laughs> of life that we're on right now. And it's an important marathon uh, for so many people. I I was talking to my 86-year-old aunt this morning, and she's getting her first vaccine next Tuesday and then doesn't get her second until July. My mother yeah. gets her first in two weeks and same thing. So, you know, there's a happiness around all of that. There's certainly a relief around all of that. But the reality is they're still going to have to be careful we are all going to have to be careful until the complete dosage is administered it's interesting because i'm watching cnn last night and i remember i have said on the show and this was probably a couple of months ago let's say before christmas uh, i remember saying wow watching cnn is like watching canadian news six months ago because they were just (laughs) so far behind us and asking just the dumbest questions that we had asked six months earlier i'm watching last night and i'm thinking it's the opposite now we're behind them not the other way around 
And it, it was just, it was a sudden epiphany that all of a sudden we're six, eight weeks, two months, three months behind the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where it's going to hit us, right? Like, so the first area where it's going to, you're talking about economic recovery. So um, normally Canada is a huge destination spot for people uh, around the world at in, in summer. Um, and if we're not, you know, if we can't open borders, if our vaccination process is slow, if people in other countries are cautious and don't want to come because uh, they're worried about all of that, we're going to lose a significant amount of foreign tourism opportunity this year. I mean, I think that's baked in, but it's unfortunate because I, I see what London or England is opening up on the 21st of June, they're saying, the U.S. for certain you know, is going to want to want to open up. Um, there are lots of areas in this country, particularly around where you are down in Hamilton, that do well by tourism. Uh, you know, the whole Niagara region and the like. Um, uh, all all maybe don't have the benefits that could be accrued if vac- vaccinating was happening more quickly. It's just fascinating, though, because Canadians were kind of smug about the U.S. before Christmas, and let's keep those borders closed. We don't want them coming up here. And then now, guess what? It'll be the opposite. They'll be vaccinated. We're not. And they want the borders kept closed. Yeah. And hopefully that uh, there'll be some remedy that's that's found all of that. I'd recommend this not because of the political bent, but uh, he's a thoughtful man, regardless of whether you like him or not. In the Golden Mail, there's a piece by uh, Preston Manning, the former opposition leader, the former Reform Party leader, and he compares... The World War II effort uh, run then by the Mackenzie King liberal government to Justin Trudeau's government, and it's fascinating. You know, the one excerpt from it that I pulled out and, and stuck with me was C.D. Howe. Maybe you and I and a few other listeners remember who he was, the great in- industrial minister, how he, you know, basically was able to find, to, to administer and guide a nation to uh, supply uh, and arm um, a country and its armed forces just through sheer will, um, and he had to do a lot more production than simply vaccines in the day. And it, yes. I recommend the, the article. It's a good comparative piece as to what people did in a, another global time of crisis uh, when uh, when lives were at stake and the world was changing. Yeah, it seems we're more uh, we're less self sufficient. We're more dependent, it appears now, yep. than we once were. Uh, certainly on others. All right, let's talk about uh, the, the We Charity thing uh, rearing its ugly head again. Uh, the We Brothers back in uh, in in uh, testifying yes uh, the other day, and and and, and very much a slant uh, against uh, the PMO, saying uh, we didn't prorogue government. Is is this turning? Well, that's if you find the the Kielberg, the Kielberg brothers, the We Charity founders, likable and welcoming characters. I look, I, I am sure <laughs> I, I know people who have benefited from the We Charity and the We Charities. They've done good things, so I'm not dismissing what they have done. Yeah. Uh, there may be all kinds of challenges that come about the manner in which they made it happen. We'll see. But watching them perform the other day was mm-hmm. was. It was very off-putting. When you make Pierre Polyev and Charlie Angus, two of the tougher, um, hard-nosed partisan politicians, look good because you are being obstructionist or you're passing blame around, it's a real hard feat to do. And they made Polyev and Angus more likable than themselves. Uh, Here's a clip from that. 
without recognizing our right to present our own evidence, this committee is trying we charity in the courts of public opinion and forcing testimony. One member of parliament, Mr. Polyev, even threatened us with imprisonment before a summons was issued. Over the past nine months, many falsehoods have circulated about we charity and those associated with it. Lies and innuendo have been spread about me, my brother, our families, not even our 80 year old parents have been spared. All right, that's the Kilbergers uh, uh, on uh, display the other day talking about uh, the We Charity scandal and such. Where well, is this going? Kids, Scott, don't forget, you missed that clip. They did it for the kids. I mean, <laughs> you, you got me wound up on this one because I, I, I sit there and I watch the brothers. And you, you, you mentioned some of this earlier. Um, you know, it was the, it, this was all about politics. Well, no poop, Sherlock. It was. Uh, and you're not politically naive. You, the, the We Charity Foundation, mostly for your benefit until last April, have cleverly cultivated relationships with pol- politicians and leaders of all stripe. Your stage stages were venues for uh, that benefited you and benefited them. So to suddenly suggest that you are these two naive young people who didn't know what you're getting yourself into is just beyond belief. And I will say this, and I'll stop my rant, and I feel like my Newfoundland brother, Rex Murphy, I'm in full dungeon right now. He has better <laughs> language than I, but I mean, I've never saw, seen two people who, um, who, who, who suffer less from uh, any concern about their self-belief. They're very certain of their self-belief in themselves. So where is the relationship between uh, these two and the prime minister's office? Because clearly it, now does the prime minister's office throw them under the bus? Uh, where is this going from here? Well, I think they did already. Yeah, I, I mean, the, 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 I, I, I think the, the, the romance that, uh, being metaphorical, that existed between we and, and the Trudeau family, because I think they said at the committee there have been over 40 events involving Trudeau family members, and fair enough, that that's the way it worked. Uh, I think that's that's firmly over. Um, you know, the, this scandal has cost the Trudeau government a finance minister, as one of as Mark Kielberger said there, or Craig, excuse me, uh, the proroguing of Parliament. They had a big dip in the polls, so the Trudeaus are inclined to do them any favors, and the we, we charity in Canada is blown up. But again. Just say this. If you are organizations like We Charity that have been around for, you know, almost 25 or 30 years, you think you'd have some resiliency. You shouldn't be so um, thin on resiliency, and you clearly have governance challenges if um, one, and it's a significant event, but if one significant event like this derails you, you know, it makes you ask more questions about what was really going on there and have now the Kilbergers appropriated the politics story to help them, you know, manage this in a way they see fit. So at the end of the day, this was all about the WE organization getting an awful lot of money from the Canadian government to run uh, COVID-19 type programs for students. So, and again, tons of money was at stake here. So whose fault is this? Yeah. Whose fault is this? Well, on that side, it's clearly the government's fault. I mean, you know, there, I, I think, as was discovered, and where probably Pierre Polyev, Charlie Angus, and the Kilbergers do unite is there wasn't any real due diligence done uh, on on all of this, and that was in the end the thing that 
began to undo this as people began to ask questions. Um, it, it seemed that, you know, there were, yes, there were some exchanges, but there wasn't a, a thorough vetting done. And uh, when that was exposed, that's when this whole thing started to uh, to uh, to unravel. So that that's the government's fault for sure. Um, but the the Kielbergers also, I'm sure, people who have funded them in the past, and we saw this uh, reacted by moving away because they weren't comfortable. I don't think it was just the politics. I think it was the you know the the lack of governance that at least they saw in that um, uh, that matter that uh, moved them away from the organization. Was it government? Uh, was it government initiatives that were keeping them afloat? Good question, right? I haven't done a forensic audit of their business, but there's lots of reporting out there to, to you know, that suggests that they had, you know, I don't know if it was just government. There were lots of public, there were, sorry, private funders that were in there. Um, but uh, there were, I believe, there had been a former uh, board member who had spoken about governance concerns that she had, and she wasn't alone in all of that. So I don't want to get too deep into it. I don't want the, the Kielbergers to sue you and me because we were part of the 101 falsehoods that were put out there. But I, I just say to your audience, Google, uh, and you'll find out uh, some of the uh, concerns that were raised by others. Is there is there much left to do here? Is there much left to uncover? Is this almost over? I think it's pretty much done. I mean, you know, uh, what we talked about first when I got on the air uh, was about the COVID-19 and vaccinations. I think there, there's some politicians and some Canadians and some people may be directly impacted by we charity who will care about this. But I, I think as a broader public issue, we're way past it. So, any programs for the kids this summer, or is that pretty much gone? <laughs> Where do we go now? What do we do now, Tim? Self-belief 101 with the Kielberger brothers. You'll be good at it when you're done. All right. So, one thing I did want to ask you, and that's been very uh, uh, concerning to a lot of people, uh, and, of course, a lot of this comes with mixed messaging, and, and, and I've been very critical about those that are yelling about mixed messaging because I'm not sure a lot of it is mixed as much as it is evolving. It's a fluid mm-hmm. story. It just keeps changing, and you, you've really got to pay attention every day to keep up to it. That being said, uh, the issue between Health Canada and the National Advisory Council on Immunization, NACI, uh, on the COVID, uh, on COVID-19 vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine from AstraZeneca and administering it to those over 65 and not. Uh, Health Canada said it's approved for those over 65. And then for the last couple of weeks, the National Advisory Council has, uh, has said, no, don't use it on people, uh, over 65. I can understand these are two independent bodies and that's a good thing. On the other hand, these are two federal agencies that are that are literally giving us uh, competing information and now to the point where a lot of people are skeptical about AstraZeneca. How come these two bodies, you know, I can understand they want to work independently, but at least get their communications on the same page and at least explain this better. Well, it's the story of confusion and COVID, right? When it's come to uh, vac- uh, vaccines that have been developed. I, I, the, the, the council that was established was established during COVID, so it doesn't have as long of a history, and it is probably a bit more independent of thought, whereas the other one, the Public Health Agency of Canada, is a standing body of government. So I think the uh, the, the the people on the co- on the um, committee uh, who I believe are, are are only doing this on a temporary basis are probably feeling more comfortable in their ability to speak freely because uh, they can 
can move away from from all of this when it's all said and done. So you have slightly different types of personalities in in those two circumstances. I see the World Health Organization is now coming out. I just saw something mm-hmm. on the wire. Uh, wire. I sound like an old man. Uh, tweeted out about the World Health Organization uh, and concerns they were addressing around AstraZeneca. All I can tell you is, you know, pay attention to what the, the physician you trust most would say. I heard a doctor who I trust and who's been my physician for years say he would give uh, AstraZeneca shot to um, anybody over the age of 65. I know he's a good physician, so that's where I look and listen uh, in this stuff. Find people you trust who you know have done their homework. Tim Powers with us, Chairman, Summa Strategies, Managing Director of Abacus Data. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Take care, Scott. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Sorry, uh, Will and I were meditating. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers can back at the station keeping the Scott Thompson home show between the pipes after 53 weeks. You need to meditate for some reason, uh, and that's a good one. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Okay, and I'll tell you what we're talking about. Um, there is a neat uh, Netflix doc. Have you heard of Netflix? Have you heard of documentaries? Uh, and it's Headspace Guide, Headspace Guide to Meditation. And I found it during uh, the pandemic. I'll leave it at that. Discover for yourself. All right, let's move on uh, and uh, talk about uh, deep fake videos. This is there's been a couple of reports in the media this week, uh, in 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 uh, which was on the news last night in regard to uh, deep fake videos and how these are pushing the boundaries of, of digital media, so they can literally put you in any sura- any surrounding. Uh, also, a very bizarre situation out of the United States, very similar to the fake college scam thing where uh, a mother who uh, was involved in the education system and her daughter who was trying to become a prom queen uh, went in and and got into people's uh, profiles and such and literally voted for uh, the daughter uh, and was discovered. You can imagine how that turned out. Uh, What is deepfake? What's it all about? Let's bring in David Shipley, cybersecurity expert and CEO of Boceron Security and is with us now. David, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for the opportunity to chat. So explain what this is. What is deepfake videos? So deepfake is actually the combination of uh, two different ideas, deep learning, artificial intelligence, and fake news. And so a deepfake video is a artificial intelligence-created video um, or alterations to an existing video to make something um, not real look like it was. And so the most famous examples right now are some crazy good videos of Tom Cruise that have been circulating on various social media platforms that Tom Cruise never made. Uh, yeah. But you'd be hard-pressed to tell the difference. Unfortunately, it doesn't just uh, require professional expertise to do this. Deepfake has gone mainstream. So you can basically create a person, uh, and, and uh, whether famous, not, whoever, exchange identities and make them do, say, anything you want in this visual. Exactly. And, and unfortunately, it's not uh, celebrities and politicians who are the majority target. In fact, the majority target turns out to be everyday people. And 
90% plus of the deepfake videos being created are pornographic in nature. And so what some very sick individuals are doing is taking photos of people available on social media that they can take with their smartphone and building deep learning models to create images of what they may look like naked or taking their face and putting it on an existing pornographic video to make it look like it was that individual. And uh, it's a disturbing escalation of the... Um, sexual exploitation photos, non-consensual sexual exploitation photos um, issue that was really becoming a problem a couple years ago, and now it's exploding with deepfakes. Uh, obviously, on many fronts, we can see how this will create hell, <laughs> anarchy. Uh, how, do you, how do you combat this? I mean, this seems like it's an emerging technology like the rest we will not be able to stop. So where does that leave us when all of a sudden you'll be able to pull up a, uh, a video of your respected political leader saying something that is not very respectful? Uh, absolutely. I think there are issues on the political side, both with the uh, creation of videos that didn't actually happen, as well as giving politicians uh, a new way of saying incriminating videos that may have actually been real were fake. Um, and so our ability to trust reality is being challenged in more and more ways. I would say first, there is no putting this genie back in the bottle. There's no closing Pandora's box when it comes to this aspect of artificial intelligence. You know, as, as folks have noticed, when soccer uh, or sorry, cheerleader moms are being charged for creating deep fake photos of their daughter's competitors in the uh, squad to try and get them disqualified, wow. uh, this truly has gone mainstream. Um, and it's out of control, and there's no sort of limitations on the abuse that can be suffered. The, the the opportunity that now exists for us is to create new laws or strengthen existing ones to fully investigate and prosecute uh, when these crimes are committed. You know, in 63% of, of folks who want to create these deepfakes want to do it to somebody they know, um, it should be possible to investigate this, and then I think we should be throwing the book at people who are caught doing this to send a strong denunciatory message to say, we will not tolerate the victimization, which is primarily right now been women and primarily done by men. We won't tolerate this in our society. That being said, David, I mean, whether it's, you know, maybe we haven't got to the extent of deep fake, but there's certainly lots of fake out there, and we don't seem to be able to get a handle on it. Uh, we don't seem to be able to put the genie back in the bottle, as you say. So what sort of legislation can stop this? Well, I think, um, for example, I would like to see, um, and again, not a not a lawyer, not a criminal justice expert yeah, yeah, by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, but I, I feel that our existing laws don't adequately and our existing policing resourcing do not adequately address the scope and the scale of the challenge and certainly what's escalating. So what I would like to see is more cops who are less trained about carrying guns and more to use to keyboards um, who know what the laws are or more laws to back them up that will specifically result in prison time. If you knowingly create pornographic, non-consensual images of an individual and distribute them, you should go to jail. Um, and people should see you going to jail because that's the only uh, lever we have to try and curtail this uh, awful, 
horrendous exploitation of individuals. Let me use this comparison for you, David. Obviously, January 6th, we saw what happened on Capitol Hill because there were some that thought Donald Trump was saying to them to go and take over uh, Capitol Hill. Uh, and we saw what happened there. There was no deep fake video there. It was just him standing down the street, rap, you know, whipping people up into a lather. So what happens if we get a video of Donald Trump, actu- fake one, actually saying something like this? This could create anarchy. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's bad enough that he did what he did in real life and, and yeah. was videoed and, and doing the speech. Um and uh, we didn't need fake videos for his lies to get picked up and spread and cause chaos. Um, but yes, you can imagine. I mean, we came perilously close. There was a teenage kid in Florida who, for money, hacked high-profile Twitter accounts, including, at the time, uh, Biden's candidate uh, Twitter profile, Bill Gates and others. You could easily, if, if this was a coordinated attack, posted videos of those celebrities, you know, maybe saying some awful things, like talking about the absolutely crazy vaccine conspiracies that are out there right now and causing all kinds of harm. And there are lots of nation state organizations that would like to continue to see Western society, uh, the United States, Canada, Europe, continue to be in chaos. It's to their benefit. So the motivations are there, the tools are there, and local journalism and national journalism has never been weaker. We have decimated our newsrooms. I used to be a journalist. Um, We need strong Journalism it is the only disinfectant to the uh, to the virus that is lies, whether they're they're propaganda that people put out or deep fake videos. When will we see the full wrath of this? Because well, this is only think, advancing. Absolutely, I think we're seeing. Unfortunately, I, I think there's an epidemic that we don't see in terms of the victimization of women and children, um, because it's not celebrities, because it's not a national macro event, Mm -hmm. um, but we know it's happening. So I think there are thousands of victims out there already, and there are thousands more who don't even know they're victims. I mean, to give you another example, there was an app on the uh, popular messaging service Instagram where you could send a photo of an individual and message it to this app, and an artificial intelligence bot would send you back an image of what it thinks that person would look like naked. So. This is, and that was used reportedly over 100,000 times. So this is already a massive problem. We just are so far behind it. David Shipley with us, cybersecurity expert and CEO of uh, Bowseron Security. Uh, David, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. You're always welcome. Take care and stay safe. Uh, a mother and daughter team arrested for allegedly casting hundreds of fraudulent homecoming uh, count uh, for or votes rather for the homecoming queen and obviously manipulated in such a way, much like, you know, Russia or China do, uh, and have uh, tampered with this election. Um, but like those uh, parents that tried to get their kids into colleges and such, uh, they've been caught. And it really, you know, begs the question, are there no ethics anymore? I mean, I know just because you can do it, does that mean that you cheat? Uh, let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, uh, PR and pop culture ec- uh, expert. Alyssa PR, she is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And, and a belated happy birthday story. to you. Oh, thank you. I hope it all went well in a COVID-19 birthday. Well, it did. I turned a certain big number, which allowed me to get a vaccine the next day. So what can I say to you? <laughs> well, what better present than that? That's perfect. That's all right. That that certainly makes turning that birthday a little bit better, doesn't it? Doesn't it? I'm like, yes. 
That's yeah, right. I'm, hey, don't you get a discount now at certain stores too? Come on, oh, get I've the been shoppers. Doing that since I was fifty-five. There you go. All right. So another situation of a mother uh, trying to manipulate the, the success of their kids. This time as a homecoming uh, queen. Uh, your thoughts on all of this? And at the end of the day, you know, we're just talking about deep fakes and making people and putting people in places that they have never been and all that sort of thing. Where's the ethics in all of this? You know, we are in the middle of sort of a siege. Parents have been hoodwinked or they've drunk the Kool-Aid that their kid has to be the best at everything. And that number one, it's either number one or nothing. And it also speaks to the, now this woman is the ultimate helicopter parent. You know, it's one thing to have, you know, your, it's not, it's not optimal, but it's one thing to have your parent help you with your science fair project and to spend all hours of the night making sure the light bulb lights up. Okay, I get that. (laughs) But to actually go to the trouble of learning how to access accounts so that you can skew the voting for homecoming so that your, your daughter becomes the queen, that is just next level. What's going to happen when this girl, if she goes off to college? You know, I have heard stories and I've read accounts of college administrators saying to parents, no, you can't come sit in the class and take notes. This is the ultimate apron string uh, scenario where the mother absolutely has to micromanage and control their kids' lives. And how, I mean, you've got kids, Scott, how does that possibly set them up for success uh, as they grow older? Yeah, it's very bizarre. Has has the political climate in the new U.S., and I don't want to just jump on Donald Trump because that's what everybody does, but has Donald Trump made cheating fashionable? Everybody cheats. And it's like, well, no, they don't. You cheat, so you're trying to make everybody else look like they cheat so you can get away with it. Uh, has he sold the notion that, yeah, you fake it till you make it, man? Isn't that interesting? You know, that is a really great point. And we all know that what he said, you know, he could say three sentences and there'd be 24 lies. So people, I think, think that this is just the norm. This is just the way things are done. And if this is what I have to do, then there's some sort of acceptable um, notion that, yeah, that's okay. I mean, I want my kid to win. So how bad can that be? So there's definitely a a rift. There's a huge uh, gap between, you know, acceptable and what what is wrong and what is right. And there should be some very clearly defined parameters around that. But in this case, it is not. So the fact that we actually lived through four years of lying and bending the truth and spinning stories in order to support a narrative which may or may not even be true, a lot of people just think, well, you know what? If it was good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. And as long as I don't get caught, then I'm going to do what I want to do. That's, you know, that was my next point. As long as you don't get caught, it's not really cheating, is it? Uh, you know, and now with our last guest talking about deep fake videos where you can literally take a face of someone and put them in any scenario at all. I mean, we know what happened when Donald Trump got up in front of a pile of people January 6th and, and whipped them into a lather so they went down and demonstrated and, and broke into Capitol Hill. What would it be if we've got a video of him actually saying, this is what you should do, kill them, do this, do that? I mean, that's the next step in all of this. Well, there's a certain uh, conspiracy theory going on right now, Scott. I don't know if you've heard this, that uh, President Biden, apparently to the QAnon group, is not necessarily in Washington, but he's truly in a he's in Culver City um, with a backdrop. 
in front of a painted backdrop, and yeah. it's really President Trump who's in Washington. And here's the thing. People believe this. Yeah. You know, Biden is not in Culver City. Biden is in Washington, as is all his staff. But then there are people that they keep feeding, you know, truths, quote unquote, truths or lies that they're disguised as truths in order to uh, maintain their conspiracy following. However, what happens, you know, for example, after the storming of the Capitol and then after uh, Biden was sworn in and then there was that, that date, I think it was March 4th, which was truly supposed to be the swearing in. Um, and then Biden was still uh, president. There's people within that conspiracy following. They're going, oh, maybe this really isn't true. So there's been falling off. So what these people are doing is feeding lies, feeding lies. And people believe what they want to believe. And if you convince yourself of something often enough, and it's like, let's say you tell a story about the the biggest fish you ever caught, which really wasn't that big. Well, after 10 years, that fish is probably 10 feet long. So the more you tell a story, the more you believe it. Uh, and, you know, and it works the other way, too, to the point where if you're believing this all the time, when you do see something truthful, you're not going to believe it. And I can think of the situation. I'm watching the news last night. There is a video of Donald Trump now telling his supporters to get the vaccine. So how many of his supporters are sitting and looking at that and going, that's that's a deep fake. Donald Trump would have never told me to get the vaccine, even though he got one. Well, you know, this is the problem when you're leaving sheep. You know, they never know which way to go. So I think what's the truth feels that his supporters will say, will do and say whatever he wants them to say. But I'm hoping that as the years go by, that people begin to understand that, you know what, maybe not everything that he says is true. Maybe not everything he says is holding water. But to be sure, he is certainly holding sway over the Republican Party. So I, I think that the support for him wanes, and I hope that it does that maybe we can get back to uh, some sense of status quo, whatever that looks like. But right now we have great swaths of of a population that will believe anything that they want to believe as long as it fits within their criteria of truth. Will you see that pendulum swing back or has it gotten so bad we can't put this genie back in the bottle? I think I would like to see, I have faith in humanity, Scott, foolish mm. that I am, but I have faith in humanity, and I think that we will see the pendulum swing back. Do I think it's going to happen right away? No. Do I think it's going to be slow and happen in increments? Yes. Where, uh, what has to happen before people take note of this? I mean, we're seeing the videos now, of the Tom Cruise stuff and all of that. But again, like you said, with the Biden story, with the Donald Trump, it, those stories are one creation away. True. And I think that, you know, the more that they have to invent outlandish lies, I think that there is some sense of, um, you know, critical thinking that will hopefully come into play where people will start thinking, okay, all this has happened. All You said all this is going to happen. None of it has happened. I think what you're just doing is making up a bunch of lies. And then... You know, people will maybe people will start getting the vaccine. Maybe they'll see the death rate going down. Maybe they'll see life getting back to normal. Maybe they'll see their businesses once again thriving. And I think the proof is in the pudding of daily living. And I have to believe that the human brain is capable of critical thinking and is capable of knowing when they're being fed uh, a kettle of fish. And and hopefully, 
you know, common sense will prevail. As crazy as that sounds, you know, four or five years ago, we would have thought, well, common sense should prevail. We've had four years when it hasn't. So hopefully, once again, the pendulum will swing when we'll all be able to think with a critical brain again. Critical thinking. There it is right there. Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert. Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. And you too, Scott. Thanks for having me on. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.